Welcome to another episode of Education is a Champion, and our children deserve one. I'm your host, Larry Davis, and today's topic is an interesting one. It's our education system, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be a champion? Stand tall and hold your head high. Make the rooftop great, aim it for the sky. Might not have it yet, but success is in my side. Can education get a champion? Cause nowadays we treat it like a common cold. Catch it if you can, but you're happy if you don't. Why are we so okay with that story? Education needs a champion. Mr. Davis, can you be him? Show him how to lead the pavement. Can you teach him? Mold him into something greater. Give him freedom. All we need is education. It's the secret. A lot of love, love schools don't always love us. No, they don't. Education needs a champion. Our children deserve one. Welcome back, champions. Like I said before, we, before I went to break, you're going to really enjoy today's show. Today's show is our education system yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now, I know you're gonna think, Larry, you're gonna be very critical or very crucial about our education system. And no, I'm not. I want you to know I'm very passionate about our education system. In fact, let me tell you my why before I even start so you understand why I'm so passionate about this. My why is to create an education system where every child will experience an education where they're cared their learning, their unique talent and individual needs are the focus of every school in every school district. Where we champion every parent, every teacher, every educator, every administrator to do more to increase student success and student achievement, to do more to grow and support our teachers, to do more to help schools and school districts realize their mission and vision, which is educating our children. And you see, I wake up every morning with that goal, with that purpose, with that why. And I hope the day that I retire, I will have achieved that why. But if I haven't at that moment, at that time that I retire, I hope I'm in a position to pass the baton to someone who can carry it forward. So this is why I really just love talking about education. And it may sound critical at times. I may sound crucial about it, but the reality is I'm just very passionate about it. So let's talk about it, our education. I want to start with yesterday, right? You know, here's the thing. In the Victorian ages, education and books denoted a family's wealth. In fact, the larger the family's library was, the more wealthier the family was. And if you were lucky enough to have a study or a library in your home, you were probably nobility. Well, history has kind of changed the the concept of the book and wealth. However, a person's wealth still dictates and determines the education of their children. The wealthier you are, the more fluent you are, chances are your child is going to get a much better education than a child in a low income area. You think about this, the wealthier schools, they get better resources, they get more resources. The wealthier schools, traditionally have better teachers. That's why the wealthier schools, the more affluent school, will continue to outperform our low-income schools. Now, I'm not complaining, but I'm saying this. I want you to think about this. If our tax rate is 5% and we're in the same school district and this side of town has homes that's $1.5 million 
and the other side of town has homes that's less than $100,000. Well, that money can be spent equitably within that district to make sure that those low-income schools, those low socioeconomic schools, are getting the resources, the materials, and the teachers that they need. The problem is, you can put the resources there, you can put the money there, but it still will not make teachers, the better teachers go there. Teachers don't want to teach in in those areas anymore. In fact, here's the funny thing. Growing up in the African-American neighborhood, there were three people that were revered, three professions that we just really looked up to. One was a minister, second was a teacher, and the third was a police officer. Now, here's the funny thing about this. Now, I know I'm talking about yesterday, but let me just share this with you, and then I'll get back on topic because I know I I like to rant and, and, and get off topic sometimes. But here's what the problem is in those neighborhoods now. The police officer isn't from that neighborhood. And the ones who come there don't want to build relationships. They just want to make arrests, write tickets, and patrol. The teachers no longer live in the neighborhood where they teach. So those teachers have no connection to that community. They come in from whatever, 8 to 5, 8 to 4, 7.30 to 3.30, and they're gone. They have no connection to that community. They don't take part in that community. So there's no commitment to the children and the families in that community. And yes, our ministers, our ministers who are the pillar of the black community, the pillar of most communities, they no longer live in those communities either. Their churches in that community, they take tithes and offering from that community. They sell lunches in that community that earn to raise money for the church, but they themselves, the minister and his wife and his family, no longer live in those communities. Okay, I digress. Let me get back on topic. Okay. At one point in time, in history, the church controlled all the literature and books, making the church one of the wealthiest businesses in our country. The Pharisees, clergymen, and priests were considered to be the wisest men of this time. Aren't we lucky that we know now that a person's title does not dictate or determine what wisdom, wisdom? We're so lucky that we know that now. But see, this type of wealth to education has continued to this day. And in fact, it is a practice in most countries around the world. And yes, even in the United States. Champions, here's my challenge to you today. We must get to a point. We have to get to a point where economics does not determine a child's education, where dollars do not determine a child's destination, and where wealth is not seen as wisdom. If we can do that, we can change our education system for the better. Well, centuries ago, we educated all children of all ages not all colors, we were not there yet. That didn't happen until 1956. We're still talking about the 1600s. And that's a story for another podcast. But back to what I was saying. We educated all children of all ages in one-room schoolhouses. Now, as soon as I said that, the first thing that came to your mind was probably Little House on the Prairie or a Western that you saw, the last Western that you watched on television, or the Saturday morning cartoon where they have the depiction of the one-room schoolhouse, and it's usually painted red with the word schoolhouse on it. 
And if you're my age, probably schoolhouse rock, you know, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Well, here's the thing about that time period. Only men were allowed to teach. It was illegal for a woman to be a teacher in our schools during this time. Now, in the 1800s, Lucretia Garfield is said to be the very first female teacher in United States history. In 1919, this is interesting. I really like this. This is, I just thought this was so interesting when I heard it. In 1919, the Sex Disqualification Removal Act was passed. This act made it illegal for a married woman to teach. Do you know why? Because a married woman, the job was to have children. They could not have a pregnant woman in front of children. That just, that looked so immoral to them at that time. Even as late as the 1920s, 20s, it was women were frowned upon in the workplace. We didn't want women in the workplace, but we know what happened in the 1920s that changed all that. But we're talking about education, not the Industrial Revolution and not world wars. Well, back to our school, that one room schoolhouse with all children of all ages. So let's talk about this. The first American school originated in the 13 colonies in the 17th century. The Boston Latin School was founded in 1635 and is, and is both the first public school and the oldest school in the United States to this day. Now, here's another interesting fact about that time period. During this time, only about 4% of students between the ages of 14 and 17 were actually enrolled in a school. Only 4%. And we understand why, because we're talking about a day of agriculture, not a day of industry, but a day of a time of agriculture. And there were things that students need to do to help around the house. Well, again, all students of all ages in a one room schoolhouse, and then sometime some very smart person said, we need to educate children based on their age. And this gave us what can be known as age-appropriate education. Not long after that, our grade system was developed. Pre-K, kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth grade. This grade level became pretty much the foundation of how our schools are, public schools were built. But only also how private schools, parochial schools, charter schools, they still use the same grading system, pre-K or early childhood through 12th grade. Here's where it gets very interesting. The basis of our education in the 1600s was reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now I'm going to take a short break. And when I come back and start talking about our education system today, I want to start right there. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be a champion? Stand tall and hold your head high. Make the rooftop great, aiming for the sky. Might not have it yet, but success is in my side. Can education get a champion? Cause nowadays we treat it like a common cold. Catch it if you can, but you're happy if you don't. Why are we so okay with that story? Education needs a champion. 
I'm Mr. Davis, can you be him? Show him how to leave the pavement, can you teach him? Mold him into something greater, give him freedom. All we need is education, it's the secret. A lot of love, love schools don't always love us. No, they don't. Education needs a champion. Our children deserve one. Welcome back, champions. Like I said, I want to start with that term, reading, writing, and arithmetic. It, it, it became known as the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. Now, here's the funny thing about that statement. Sir William Curtis of Bannister was given a speech in 1807, and he used it to be, to, as a pun, a play on words, to be kind of funny, to, you know, to be kind of humorous about our education system, and he said, reading, writing, arithmetic, the three R's, not knowing the magnitude of that statement and that, that the three R statement will live forever. And we still have people who say today, reading, writing, arithmetic. But in today's society, we, we say reading, writing, and math. Now, the reason I want to spend just a little time talking about that is people will tell you, professionals, experts will say that the world education system is so much further ahead than the United States education system. Well, I don't agree with that, but I don't disagree with it. I will tell you this. One of the reasons that we are falling behind is because we still measure reading, writing, and math. Most, most countries measure math and science. So if we're not measuring the same things, of course, we're not going to measure up. But that doesn't mean we can't spend more money on science. We need to spend more money on science. However, that's not what today's topic is about. And I just wanted to give you a brief history on the term reading, writing, and arithmetic. So William Curtis of Bannister in 1807, we will give him credit for that, coining that phrase, the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. Well, let's move on to today. We talked about the one-room schoolhouse, all children of all ages. Yesterday, today we have these mega school buildings with hundreds of classrooms. Unfortunately, this mega building with all these classrooms still function as one-room schoolhouses. Our school buildings today function as a multiplex for one-room schoolhouses. That's because our teachers aren't allowing our kids to be competitive within those campuses. Our teachers aren't getting out there sharing with each other in those campuses. And I shouldn't say all teachers, and I didn't say all teachers, but I wanna make sure I don't say all teachers because that's an all-encompassing statement because there are some really great schools, there are some really great teachers, and there are some really great systems out there that we can learn from, but we are so steeped in yesterday's schooling that it's sometimes difficult to get teachers to look ahead, to think better, to think more positive. You see, nowadays, we not only separate kids by age and grade level, we also separate those students by buildings. We have early childhood centers. So those students, those babies don't have to go to school with the kindergartners or the elementary kids. We have intermediate schools, so the elementary kids don't have to go to school with the intermediate students. We have sixth grade centers, we have middle schools, we have ninth grade centers, we have junior highs and senior high schools. But it's still a pre-K, early, early childhood, 12th grade system. 
that we developed back in the 1600s. We also offer our families school choices. We have public schools, private schools, parochial schools, charter schools, homeschooling. Students can do online schooling. We offer students educational choices. We have students can do a college-bound graduation plan. They can do a military-bound graduation plan. They can do a, a career-bound graduation plan. They can go to a school-to-work program so they can go to school half a day and work and support their families. And yes, we have career and technology graduation plans. We have technology graduation plans. Today, a student can earn an associate's degree while in high school, earning their high school diploma at the exact same time. We have school choice. We have educational choices. But champion, here's what the deal is. With all the things we offer our families and our students, our education system still exists as it did yesterday, as it did in the 1600s. Reading, writing, and math. Reading, writing, arithmetic. In fact, if Lucretia Garfield were to walk down the halls of one of our schools today, she would feel right at home, except for the magnitude of that building and the technology that exists inside of that building. The reality is this, champions. We must change our education system to meet the needs of our children, to help our children become more globally competitive because our students aren't competing with the child in the desk next to them. They're not competing with the kid across town or the kid in the next city. Our children are going to be competing for jobs against students they've never seen before because that student exists on the other side of the world. We have to create a school system that will help our children be more globally competitive and more globally ready to compete for jobs that don't exist today, that may only exist right now or that will exist tomorrow. And we have no idea what those jobs are, but we have to do better. You see, COVID-19 forced our school systems to be better. Everyone thinks that it forced us to close schools down. No, we closed buildings down. The school system was still up and running. COVID-19 has forced us to refocus. It's forced us to change. It's forced us to become better. But as educators, we're being resistant to that change. We don't want to see that change happen. You see, we have to restructure our schools. We have to find ways to set a school system up that's going to benefit a kid today and tomorrow. We have to change the functionality of our schools to really get our kids ready for college, ready to get our kids ready for a career, to really get our kids ready for technology, for the military. We have to change the way we do schools. We have to change our education system. You see, our teachers have to learn new and better ways to teach our children. Our teachers have to learn new and better ways to reach our children, to engage our children. New and better ways to deliver instruction, better instructional strategies, better student interventions. We have to create a school system 
where every child comes to us and, and we know that we have to create an individual academic plan for that child. And it's the norm. It's not an exception. It's not excessive. It's the norm that every child will come needing something different and we'll be able to meet the needs of that child. And I know you're thinking, well, Mr. Davis, COVID-19 also helped us bring out technology. And that's true. We've had technology in our schools for years, for years. In fact, today's Apple phone buyers are buying that Apple product because Apple put computer labs in lots of elementary schools during, during that time when they were younger. Those children grew up on Apple products and now they are Apple consumers. But we're not talking about Apple today. We're talking about technology. And the question I want you to ask me is this, Larry, are our schools using technology to their fullest ability? And the answer is no. It's a resounding no. And that, I want to do a comparison for you. I want to compare the cell phone of 1999 to the cell phone of 2021. Now, luckily I was around in 1999 and my biggest concern with my cell phone were my minutes. I could not go over my minutes. In fact, I thought I had one of the greatest plans ever because I had a thousand minutes. Our phones were used to answer and make phone calls. We were not texting. We were not taking photographs, right? We were not worried about data. We were worried about minutes because if you went over, it cost you 40 cents a minute. You have to have a really good job to be able to talk a hundred minutes over your uh, minutes because at 40 cents a minute, that's a lot of money. Also this, if we drove out of our area, uh, we had to put our phones on, turn our phones off or they would start roaming and we would get roaming charges. <laughs> Can you imagine that today, roaming charges? I don't think our students even know what the word roam means. Our phones were used as phones. And you probably had more people on their phone at 11.59 at night because at 11.59 to 7 o'clock in the morning, you could talk for free. I was in bed, so I really got to use that benefit. Now, let's talk about the phone in 2021. Our phone today acts as a personal computer. We can do emails. We can do Skype. We can do Zooms. We can do Hangouts. We can video chat. Some phones can even make movies. We have data, we have touch screens. We have voice activated screens and so on and so on. So when you look at the phone of 1999 and the phone of 2021, this is the difference in how we could be using our technology. In our schools today, we have the technology of the phone of 2021 but we use the technology as if it was a phone of 1999. We have to do better. See, this is just a reasonable comparison on just how far we need to go to really use technology to its fullest. You see, we can use technology to close that achievement gap. We can use technology to bring the real world into our schools to our students in real time so they can have that exposure 
across the world, across the sea. They can have that exposure around the world. They can see what those students that they're going to be competing, competing against for a job are doing, and they can start doing those things, or they can start doing things even better. We can start doing things even better for our kids. Technology is a great tool. So before I go any further, champion, I want to just clarify something. Technology is a great tool. We need it to help our students achieve to the maximum of their ability. We need them to exceed their own potential and technology can help us do that. But technology is just a tool. It will never replace a great teacher. It is a great tool to supplement, but it will never supplant a really good teacher. And I want you to remember that. So as we, as I finish up on that thing about today and the things that we could do and we have to do to make it better, we're going to think about tomorrow. But here's the thing. The only thing I know about tomorrow is I don't have a crystal ball and I can't tell the future. I can tell you this. You may hear every superintendent, every educator, every politician say, we're building 21st century schools. Well, we're not. What we consider to be 21st century schools is wireless connection. That's not the 21st century. In fact, if we build a school today, in January, February, 2021, in 2050, that school will be obsolete. It will no longer be a 21st century campus. So when we talk about these 21st century schools, these 21st century campuses, we have no idea what we're saying. We're just saying things because it sounds good. Here's what I do know. We have to be better today than we were yesterday. And we are, but we're not different. We're better, but we're still doing the same thing, reading, writing, arithmetic. We still have students sitting in rows, waiting for the teacher to ask a question so they can raise their hand. We still have teachers who are standing in front of classes, lecturing for 55 minutes to an hour. Our school system looks today just as it looked in the 1600s. The only exception are we're not all children of all ages. We are now age appropriate. We're now grade level. And now we do have all children of all ages, of all colors in our school buildings. And we have to be better tomorrow than we are today. We have to keep getting better. What does better look like tomorrow? I don't know. I really wish I knew. I spent a lot of time contemplating that. How will our education be better tomorrow than it is today? If it's not that much better today than it was yesterday. Well, champions, I want to leave you with two things about tomorrow. And just think about this. And is it about tomorrow or is it about today? But I want you to decide. Be the champion that student feels welcome, seen, heard, valued, loved, and supported. Sometimes it only takes a single champion to turn a child's life around. Some children will come to school today because of that champion. Be that champion every day. 
and know that you are that champion because you are. This concludes my uh, podcast for the day. And I want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to be a guest, or if you'd like to be a supporter, you'd like to advertise on the show, please contact me at www.larrydavis.com. Call me at 817-793-7074. Today's podcast was brought to you by Working With Our 4D Students, Defiant, Difficult, Disrespectful, and Disruptive. You can get that book today at amazon.com. The ebook is $7.99. The paperback is $17.99. Listen, and remember champions, education needs a champion and our children deserve one. Thank you. We'll talk next week. What does it mean to be a champion? Stand tall and hold your head high. Make the rooftop break, aiming for the sky. Might not have it yet, but success is in my side. Can education get a champion? Cause nowadays we treat it like a common cold. Catch it if you can, but you're happy if you don't. Why are we so okay with that story? Education needs a champion. Mr. Davis, can you be him? Show him how to lead the pavement. Can you teach him? Mold him into something greater. Give him freedom. All we need is education. It's the secret. A lot of love, love schools don't always love us. No, they don't. Education needs a champion. Our children deserve one.